Hey, what's up, everybody? We are so excited to announce that Zootown Podcast is back in business. We're running with season two uh, in the next few months, and we're going to be releasing some podcasts with uh, our staff discussing topics, but also some guests that we'll be interviewing. Um, and so thank you so much for supporting this, and thank you so much for just listening to what we have to say. And we're just looking forward to a deeper conversation. Love you guys. Thanks for joining Zootown Podcast again. Uh, today we are here with Dan DeLong so. and a podcast virgin, Chad Mallow. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, Chad Mallow is our creative director here at Zootown Church, uh, close friend, confidant, love of my life. And I'm Saucy. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, well, definitely uh, Lily loves you because that's, so that's the best story. A couple weeks ago... Uh, my daughter Lily, if you're listening, my daughter's name is Lily. She is 11 years old. She is the apple of my eye, and she randomly she hears from the spirit like so much, and I think she's just growing and understanding what the spirit, how it communicates to her. But she walks in, and I was just sitting there eating, and she looks at me and she goes, "Dad, don't fire Chad." <laughs> Which made me super paranoid yeah. when you told me, because I was like, "What am I doing?" Am I doing? <laughs> that is- and then I looked at Lily, and I was like, "Why would I fire Chad?" And she just kind of looks down and goes, "I don't know, but just don't ever fire Chad." <laughs> I think it's because um, that same week she uh, sent muffins or something in, and I just sent Jenny a text that said, "Hey, will you tell Lily those muffins are really good?" And uh, so. So she, you, so she's on my side. You have a muffin bond. <laughs> I bought her with, with compliments. Daughter. That's sweet. So, yeah, that's Chad. Glad to have him on today. And um, yeah, if you're just first time listening, we just love to talk about different topics that come to our hearts and our minds. And we've all been in church for a long time, um, and we've seen a lot, and we've done a lot. We've the, the thing too is I hope whenever we talk about this stuff, we've committed all these same things that we uh, we talk about, and so we come at this with a level of repentance in a way, um, that we have done these same things that we chat about or, or have experienced these same things. So we just want to open up real honest conversation. Um, almost like we're confessing certain things that we've done, but also you want to get better. And there are just things that we see in the church that are damaging and hurtful. And, um, we want to own our part, but also move forward to make the church better. So that's why we talk about this stuff. So, Today, we are actually going to talk about church shame, uh, light topic, you know, yeah. no big deal, but uh, just the shame that, that there is in church, whether it's moral behavior, whether it's uh, not aligning with theological viewpoints, the church, and this is a very wide brush, by the way, but I've seen it in our church and other churches, is people go to shame when they want something done or they want to communicate something because shame works. Shame gets people to move. And we will talk about this in a little bit, but shame and fear kind of go together. Um, but just one quick story, uh, kind of set this up is when I was a brand new, uh, believer in Jesus, um, I was just, I was really trying, you know, like, like when you first come to Jesus, you're just trying so hard. Um, unless you just grew up in the church like Dan did and you never did anything wrong. Uh, but not true. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm still trying. Yeah. I grew up in the church. So yeah. And that's a good thing too. <laughs> I love the foundation of that too. And, 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 but when you live this crazy life, like I did, and then all of a sudden you're this believer and you're just trying so, so hard. Um, you feel an extra pressure and you feel an extra judgment in a way. And I really struggled, 
with certain things, certain substances and all kinds of stuff. And, but I was really, really trying. And I, and I went to this church, this, uh, midweek service and, um, I just, I absorbed church. I just wanted to know about God, learn about God. And, and I went to this midweek service and, um, I had a friend that was going there and, um, the pastor ended up telling my friend, like, that I was a fake believer because I was still struggling with these things and um, that he should stay away from me because what is the bad company corrupts good character or whatever that Bible verse is. And I remember him telling me this and I remember one, I never went back to that church again. Um, But it was such a shame filled thing that it, it was like, it turned me not away from Jesus, but it, it didn't help anything either. And I just remember that, that was as a as a new follower of Christ, just to have a pastor say that, or um, to instantly feel that judgment, because that's really what shame is in a way too, is judgment. Like we already have so much of that in society. Like our whole society is waiting for someone else to fail, so we can shame them and feel better about our position on things or everything. And so, but why is that in the church? And should that be in the church? And it just seems it's so prevalent that. People just use shame to try to motivate or try to feel better about themselves, and that shouldn't be the case. So, um, yeah, what do you what do you think, Dan? You grew up in church. How do you how do you view shame? Like, what? Why? Why is this a thing? Well, for one, I I don't think that it's uh, unique to a new believer because I feel like I grew up in that, hmm. and so uh, just for twenty some years, feeling that burden of uh, every time you you mess up, that's just it's filled with shame. And the it seems like a good tactic, but it doesn't work. Um, one of the things I kind of equate this stuff to is I told you on the way here I I had McDonald's, so I knew what shame was like. Hey Amen. <laughs> Has there time. ever not been a time that like it? It sounds like such a good idea every time. Yeah. And I've done it thousands of times, and I know it's not a good idea. Um, every time I do that before coming to work, I always eat all the food in the car, and then I just bring the coffee in, and then yeah. I still feel guilty. Yeah, we're like, not, oh, we you know. know that iced coffee came with a McGriddle. Yeah, we know you didn't just get coffee. Even though McDonald's does have great drip yeah, coffee. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, but no one just goes and gets a coffee. You're no. getting an Egg McMuffin, too. So. <laughs> but that's the thing that shame does, and it it's when it comes to food you're like well i'm already in mcdonald's line right so i'm i'm gonna get a mcgriddle yeah i was here just for <laughs> just for coffee and hash browns but i might as well yeah. right and so and that's kind of like when you're dieting and stuff and you do you make one like miss slip up on your diet you're like oh i was keto forever and then i had mcdonald's this morning so i'm gonna have ice cream tonight yeah. you know like <laughs> 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 that's what I'm the, all in. If I'm doing this, I'm all in. That's yeah. what that shame cycle kind of does to you is yeah. you just you start feeling that and you go, "Well, if I'm already feeling this way, I'm just going all in." And that's it's funny that we feel that shame is an effective tool because it oftentimes does the exact opposite. Yep. But I've used the shame tactic. Of course. Like I remember I was thinking about it on the way here that uh I've had um a person I don't want to name names or anything, but I met with for years. And early on, uh, this person was struggling with some stuff and and I would use like kind of shame punishments to be like, like you need what? like, you know, tell him, you know, you have to 
step away from certain parts of ministry or something like that. And it was fairly obvious. Like, why did he have to do that? Well, because he messed up. Yeah. Uh, and it was this, um, this idea that if, if you feel enough shame, you won't do it again. <laughs> and it doesn't work. <laughs> and it wasn't until I shifted uh, in my personal like way of kind of discipling this person to like, how do we move away from shame and just try and figure out a way to restore you that he actually saw growth and started to hmm. um, step away from some of the stuff that he was dealing with. And the, and it was my fault. You know, I used shame and I kept him in it. Yeah. And so he would, you know, he'd call me up and be like, yeah, uh, shame, basically shame cycle. I've started doing whatever. And, uh, and because of that, I just went on a bender for a week and, and now I, I have to, you did no, he did. <laughs> it was but I have, I've totally done that. And that's just the other, McDonald's. like the Your other benders side. are way different than my benders were. <laughs> <laughs> so like I was, you know, a sin bender is a sin bender, right? Like something that's destroying you, whether it's drugs or, or pornography yeah. or whatever, like the, you, you get into that cycle of shame and you're like, well, I'm already down this rabbit hole. Yeah. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the, the church and, I say that because I've been a part of it, is thinks that if you just feel enough shame, you won't want to feel that shame again. And it never works. Never. Yeah. Chad, what's your experience with that? Um, <clears throat> I kind of feel, uh, well, obviously I've experienced shame and I have dealt it out too. I think it's interesting that you brought up like, I was keto and then I had a McMuffin and now I'm not. Those um, aren't keto, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You, they are if it's sausage on sausage on sausage. Uh, When's McDonald's going to make just a sausage McMuffin? McMuffin yeah. or like the <laughs> just the, the bread? The bread is, is actually meat. Um, but my idea behind shame is that it's it's usually when we adopt a different identity than the one we were given by God. And so even what you said about ke- I was keto and now I'm not keto. Like, um, and I don't know the science behind dieting. Um, but I think it's funny that you can be keto for like three years, have a McMuffin, and then all of a sudden adopt the identity that you're no longer on keto because of yeah. one mm. cheat meal. Um, and so I think we usually feel shame when we're adopting like adjectives or names or um, titles that other people have placed on us and we've placed on ourselves yeah. because of society and, and um, social norms of kind of plateauing like like I think about like little instances like when this starts really young like we're children on the playground and if we get picked last at dodgeball it's like the worst day of school ever and then we just adopt the identity that we're the worst dodgeball player ever which has nothing really probably to do with it we're we're just not the most liked kid you know and then it just like keeps building on top of itself so then it becomes something where I won't even try to play dodgeball anymore because I don't want the shame and the the hurt that comes with, oh, I guess I'll take Chad on my team. <laughs> last um, pick, last Chad. Pick. <laughs> How was your dodgeball game? I think I was pretty solid. I was better at Foursquare, but I learned how to play as a team eventually. I was a wall ball guy. That was fun. Dodgeball, but during coronavirus, they've been showing dodgeball on 
the Ocho. He used yes. to be on the Ocho. But there's a guy juggling in the background. And the, the point is to hit the guy juggling. <laughs> like, this is on ESPN. I we, love how sports evolved. We, or de-evolved. Yeah. We've totally gone backwards during coronavirus. But This is totally something you'd see in ancient Rome. Yeah. <laughs> So they're just with spears. Yeah. <laughs> hit the guy juggling with a spear. Um, but, yeah. So I think that also, like, why it's damaging in the churches or even in, within relationships is shame also because I'm adopting it as my identity or something that um, is wrong with me. I'll tend to run to something instead of running to God. So if a, um, if if I have a bad body image and I'm like, oh man, I'm just so out of shape and overweight and stuff, like I'm gonna run to the gym. And if um instead of like actually just dealing with the emotional baggage of like yeah. it's some stuff's okay. Like it's better to go to the gym because I want overall health, not because I feel body yeah, image. You have to shame. look a certain way. Yeah. And the same exists in the church, like um Oh, I looked at porn and I don't want to deal with that, so I'm going to I'm going to sit back and hide until I feel less shame about it. Yeah. Instead of actually going to God with these issues and having him remind me that your identity is not as somebody who watches porn, but as a son or daughter of God, of you're a child of God. Um, so Yeah. Well, and what I think shame is when I did read a whole book called shame. Uh, but so these are not just my ideas. I think shame people who shame a lot, which I have is because they feel shame themselves. Yeah. And so it's a way that you can, and that's where the whole scapegoat mechanism comes in is that's why scapegoating is in every culture because you would rather put all your crap and feelings and emotions and shame onto a person or a group of people rather than deal with them yourselves. And so that's where nothing ever really gets better. But Ty's dad um, always says, if ever you hear like a preacher preaching against one thing a lot, or he brings it up a lot, he goes, you better bet that that person, that pastor struggles with that sin. Sure. And so that's why I talk about every sin, because I just struggle with them all. So. <laughs> <laughs> or you just don't know, what, you don't want people to know which one. <laughs> yeah, without, uh, like, it's the zebra method. <laughs> no, but it's so crazy, right? It's kind of like homosexuality. I mean, like, how many times do you get asked that as a pastor or even working for Zootown? Has anyone ever asked you like, what about greed? Like, do you, how do you feel about greed? Like no one ever asks you that. Why? Cause deep down everyone struggles with greed. Yeah. And so it's like, they always want to go to something that either they do struggle with or they don't. So that way they don't have to deal with the thing they are struggling with. And so that's why shame is such a powerful tool in the church. And it's just terrible. It's just, it's not right, but it works. Why do you guys think it works? I think it only works surface level. It like it's one of those things where you you don't want anybody to put shame on you, and so you'll you'll either adapt your behavior or you'll make it look like you adapted your behavior. Yeah, and even still, it's kind of always lurking behind you, you know, so that. Uh, it never really fully goes away. And yeah. you just always have that thought in, in the back of your mind, like, well, that's still there, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so it makes this, you know, 
pretty exterior, but we might be polishing a turd. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's in the book of Proverbs, I think. Yeah, right? I think so. Somewhere around there. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, why, why, okay, so let's just kind of narrow this down. Why in the church? If we are supposed to be these people of grace and love, why is shame such a prominent thing within the church? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Podcast over. That's a good. <laughs> I actually respect that. Um, yeah. I What's your hypothesis? Well, I don't know um, if it's always done maliciously. Um, why I think it works is because, um, like Brene Brown um, has this really good quote, and it and she's talking about guilt versus shame, and she says guilt um, is I did something bad. And shame says, I am bad. Hmm. And so I, I, if I wanted to rant and go off about church culture and capitalism within church culture and, and keeping the tithe money coming in, um, I could m- make the absurd assumption that if we keep people feeling bad, they'll keep coming back to the water that we proclaim we're actually giving. Hmm. Um, but I just want to think better about the church than that. Um, and maybe in times when the church does do that, it's not on purpose. Um, it's just, we've learned how to do that as humans, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to think that there's pastors out there going, if we just keep them feeling bad, they'll keep coming back for more. Yeah. Um, Cause that's a really crummy thought. But it does, it is how you view God. Like, if you view God as like a judgmental God, like you're going to be judgmental. And if you feel shame from God, you're going to give shame you know, yeah. all the time, basically. And that's, you can just see it in certain pastors preaching and I've seen it in mine, you know, and it's just, I think it's, it's all comes down to how you are actually perceiving how God perceives you. And so then you start doing that with others, but it also, if we're honest, shame also allows you to attract people to your side. Because if you can shame one group of people or one person and then say, well, you're safe with me, then that's, that's a total manipulation tool as well as with shame. Right? Sure. And it makes people feel good when they go, oh, I don't struggle with McMuffins. So I'm in this, this group that doesn't struggle with this sin. So I'm in and I, I've been picked for the dodgeball team. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm no longer out there wondering if I'm saved or not. Well, I'll be honest. I see it with the mask thing right now with COVID. Mm-hmm. Like if Costco wants me to wear a mask to go in then one, I don't have to go in. It's a free country, but right. if they're, t- it's their own business. If they want me to wear it, then you got to wear it. You just do it. But it is interesting how you're, you're watching posts and you're watching people look at you weird. If you're not wearing a mask everywhere you go. I personally don't believe masks do anything. That's my personal view. If you want to wear one, that's great. But you can literally feel the shame from people. Like, like even I, I could be wrong here, but even when you're driving in your car and they have it hanging from their rearview mirror, they're letting everybody know I'm in this camp mm-hmm. and I'm educated and yeah. I'm this. And I'm like, that the only place you can put it to show everybody that you're wearing a mask. <laughs> and why are you wearing one in your car? <laughs> if they are wearing one, but. I don't want to shame them either. I'm like, fine, you want to wear a mask? Go ahead and wear a mask. But it's kind of weird how there's this weird dichotomy going on right now between that. And I'm totally getting a McMuffin after this, by the way. But <laughs> Breakfast <there's>, all day. <laughs> there's such truth in that because like, I've got, so I have a mask in my car 
purely for places like Costco or whatever that want you to wear a mask. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they do something if you're like, I've got allergies and I sneeze. So I suppose I have less sneeze residue yeah. on, on stuff. So I think maybe they do something, but I don't know that it's all that effective. I literally just wear it because I I don't want those stairs. Really? <laughs> and so there is a, you know, there's a few different places in town that will say like one Costco says that you have to wear it. There's some that say like we strongly recommend it, and mm. so I'm like, "All right, I'll put it on." And you, you oh, can even you're just such a rule follower. I well, you I'm just, like, "No, <laughs> I put it on because I don't like the stairs." And there's that shame. Oh my right? gosh! That, like yeah. I just and you with the rest of your face covered up, all you see is their eyes, and you're like, "Oh, Watching, there's all judging. this judgment in their eyes." <laughs> they might be smiling at you, don't even yeah. know, it, but you're actually just. But even that. That shows how much shame we already have yeah. built up in us is that we are assuming that people are shaming us even if they're not. We don't know that. We don't right. actually know that because we can't see their face. Right. Right? So right. that just proves how much shame we already have. Yeah. Gosh, this podcast is amazing. We're just breaking down so many good <laughs> societal things right now. So obviously it's damaging though. Yeah. It never ever really produces any fruit. How do you feel that politics in our country um, has fueled this? What's well, pretty easy. I mean, the either side of the aisle has their thing that they feel like the other side is dumb yeah. about or right? evil. Yeah, yeah. And so they they will use whatever tactics they can to get it out there that if you believe this particular thing, so climate change is on one side or the other, yeah. right? So if you, if you're a shame, that's what I call it. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're on a, a liberal side that you can push off on every, you don't care about the environment. If you don't believe in climate change on the other side, it's people that will say things like, how could you possibly believe in climate change? You're stupid. So you're idiot, there's yeah. this shame on both sides. And so, yeah, it's just completely ingrained in our culture from the church but not just the church. It's everywhere. So you watch Fox News, and all Fox News is doing is shaming liberals. Yeah, yeah. You watch CNN, and all CNN is doing is shaming conservatives. Uh-huh. My favorite with Sean Hannity is he'll just completely wreck your day, and then at the end of it, he'll be like, and let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I'm like, uh, what? But it, I mean, it has fueled so much. And I guess that's my point, too, is like, isn't the church supposed to be better? should be isn't the church supposed to be different and i think that's where we get we've gotten so many verses screwed up with our western mindset like you know when when paul you know in romans just says do not give into the patterns of the world but let your mind be transformed right what are the patterns of the world the patterns of the world are shame violence hatred all those things and we always think it's like, see, everyone's just getting drunk out there, so don't drink. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's more than that yeah. when it comes to this. And a lot of it is these inward things like shame and guilt and oppression and all types of stuff. So that's that's why this podcast is important because we just we want the church to be better than that. And so I think we just kind of give into it, especially with the political system. You know, we're like, it has so affected us. And I mean, I'll be honest, I see that with Trump for sure. Like, I I think some of Trump's policies for sure have been way better than people want to admit. 
but I hate that he deals in shame. He is the, he is one of the most shame filled guys. Yeah. Like he calls people disgusting. I mean, he, you know, he's just constantly dealing out shame to get his point across. And that, that drives me nuts. It's just, it's, it's like vindictive. It's just like, it's not, it's just fueling this fire more and more and more and more and more. And that's why I I just, I see that in the church. Like it's like infiltrated the church too. Where do you see it in politics? Um, I think I find it, it's funny because just thinking about this and this is a new idea for me. Um, so I grew up in a super Republican environment. Uh, I still think I, I don't now I don't want to say it out loud cause it's on the record, but I, I still enjoyed George Bush. I thought he was a nice guy. Now I couldn't vote and I was still a child. So like all the presidents are awesome back then, yeah. you know, um, Brian, my friend once goes, I really miss Bill Clinton. And I go, is that just because you, he was just the president when you were five? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, Brian. Do you know what happened? (laughs) Um, But being raised Republican and then going to a university that is definitely more left leaning and in a town that is more um, liberal and then taking classes and learning about the world and having a different point of view come into my own mind and heart and wrestling with these issues. Um, I instantly got shame from just close people, even family members, because it's very tribalistic and you get placed in camps so quickly. And because I was a student from the university, I'm being brainwashed and now I'm left leaning. Well, they don't even give me, they don't even give me the title of being left leaning because that seems a little softer than you're a left scumbag, yeah, scumbag you're gone, liberal. Dude, you're gone. <laughs> um, and the problem with that is what I've noticed in thinking about it now is that um, you talk about it all the time about how I'm probably on a pendulum where like if you feel hatred or shame or um, whatever from a, a particular side, you're going to want to get away from that side as far as you can. And so I've definitely have done that in my earlier twenties. And then now in my thirties, um, coming back towards the center and still finding it really hard to be accepted by either side, because I don't have, I don't believe 100% on either side. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't believe 100% on a side, they push you all the way to the other side. Yes. Like you're out, you're out of the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Even little things like I've been thinking about the flag of America and how graphically it's pretty awesome. Um, I was shopping for baseball caps and there was a Boston Red Sox hat that just had the flag on the front. Mm -hmm. And then the B logo was on the side. I was like, oh, that's so dope. And then I felt the shame that like, because I lean left, people will give me quips and little like jokes and say, why are you wearing the flag? You're a liberal. (laughs) And, uh, And so that's just, that sucks that like sometimes we exclude people because we don't want them in our camp because they don't believe everything we believe. And then in this instance, because I'm left leaning, I actually have to really fight to say I'm a patriot. Like (laughs) I'm not left leaning because I love to stir the pot. Let's see your gun right now. (laughs) But I have political point of views because I care about America just as much as you do. And if we could work together, then we could be one body, just as in the church, if we could deal with our sins and 
differences, we could probably actually help each other because you don't struggle with the things I struggle with and vice versa. Meaning I can help you with the things you struggle with and you can help me with my down shortcomings, you know? Yeah. But we don't because we say, peace out, go to a different church, yep. go to a different tribe. Um, so. And then nothing gets better. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, I, that's where I see it in politics for sure. And, and again, both sides is if you're a Democrat to many conservatives, you're a baby killer, no matter what, baby right. killer. And if, I am not a baby killer. Uh, that's not what I heard. But <laughs> uh, but honestly, then on the other side, if you're a Republican, you're just this greedy racist all the time. You hear that every time is like you're a racist then. And so it's like both sides do it. Right. And it's just shame. Yeah. It's That's all it is. It's shame to like yeah. try to convince people that your belief is more righteous than this other person's belief. And then you just miss like all this other stuff in your own party. And that's why. Where I'm at now is just like, I mean, I voted for Republicans and Democrats and there are certain issues that are, you know, stronger to me, but like through this whole COVID thing, even it's like, I wish that the climate change people didn't run with shame because you could just run with certain evidences. <laughs> like even right now, it's like, Hey, in India, you can see the Himalayas for the first time in a long time. Maybe that's a good thing. Right. right. Maybe maybe we start the conversation there and you're watching. I just saw this cool thing about like in Florida, these like weird blue bees are back. Not murder hornets. So don't freak out. But blue, blue bees. <laughs> they're like these cool, like fluorescent blue bees that they haven't seen forever that they came back. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. rad. And so I wish the conversation could be like that. Like, hey, let's kind of see both sides of this rather than just like, Oh, you don't believe in climate change. You're an idiot. You're immoral and your kids are going to burn in the next 50 years. Like that doesn't do anything. It just doesn't. But on the other side too, it's just like, you're just a globalist and you're trying to take our money. You know, it's just that shit, that whole shame completely kills conversation. I think that pendulum is kind of where we're at with that, where, to me, it feels like I, you would have to yell so far to the right or so far to the left in order to get them to move an inch back. That's the idea, right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to tell you all of the positive parts of climate change. You're going to tell me all the negative parts. Um, but we can't actually just sit down and have a conversation where we're not yelling at each other in order to go, oh, Scott and I, and this has happened, you and I had different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And when we were finally able to be friends and sit down and actually have a conversation, I realized I'm really close to you and you're really close to me. And sometimes you're more left than me on certain yeah. issues. So don't say that on broadcast. Yeah. It's on the record. I'm not editing. <laughs> that was a lie. He's a leader of a church, <laughs> but see, that's just it. So like, I never even tell people and we'll get back to the church. Cause this is all, this is all the reason we're saying this is this has infiltrated the church and I never tell a a Republican to leave the Republican party. I say, look at the stuff that's wrong and help other Republicans see it. And I don't tell someone not to be, I don't think the word liberal is a bad name. I don't, I don't want someone to leave the democratic party. I want them to say, Hey, let's, let's look at like the truth of, of like God and all kinds of those things and help that party see it. You know, and that, to me, that's like what Jesus was talking about with the yeast in the dough, right? Like you got to get it in, you got to work it in the dough. And if you're separate, nothing grows. Like if you got the yeast over here and you got the bread, the flour over here, it's never going to grow. They got to come together. And I think that's where, you know, politics has infiltrated the church in that sense too, because now we shame people with names in the church, right? 
Yeah. You're a progressive Christian. You're, <laughs> uh, you know, a universalist. You're a Calvinist. And it's all these terms that never actually help us come together and successfully talk about things. Sure. I think it's the, it's like you say, the, the point of having a, a, the two party system or whatever is that the people inside those parties are supposed to be making it better. Right. That was, that's the initial setup. That's the design, but that's because of people are people. we shift away from that. And we, we move to like, okay, well this is, we're now just going to decide to be tribalistic and put everybody that's on the outs further on the outs and everybody that's on the end, we have to make sure that we're homogenizing each other instead of using the diversity inside that party to help itself. And that's what the church has done where we start out with these really great ideas. So we hear a verse that says something like, um, you're supposed to be a city on a hill. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, the idea behind that is that people from far off would be able to see that there's a place of hope and a place of help. Yep. But what the church has done is they've taken that verse, not everybody, but a lot of people, I know I've understood it this way, is that the way you're a city on a hill is that you're just more righteous. You're, yeah. Right? And so what what was supposed to be a verse to try and draw people in has then actually become something that pushes people out because you you use that shame to say you're supposed to be more righteous and you use that shame to be like why aren't you a city on a hill be a city on a hill yeah and instead of trying to bring people in and give them hope we've now said be better and that that shame has used that one verse at completely out of context and that's it starts off in this great place and then it shifts yep and that's that's what I'm talking about. Even just with it's all moral behavior in yeah. a way. So like we've made this all about certain outside things that people are doing, and so we're saying like well, we're supposed to be separate from that. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, but it doesn't it, it, it that doesn't help people get in, and it definitely doesn't help people stay because everyone is at a different level of their growth as a human. And so when you start making mission statements and stuff about things, it just, it just spirals down quickly when it comes to your influence in the town. And so that's a good kind of lead into this about how some of these verses have been misused. Um, And I think one of them that for sure, and Bryce explains this really well, where Jesus just said, you know, you will be persecuted. You'll, you'll be persecuted um, by following me. We've become such victims in the church that yeah we're just being persecuted all the time yeah i think he i think he was talking about in the church yeah (laughs) and bryce does too he was talking about that how he's like you know and all you gotta do is be a pastor for a a little bit and just know that like it's it's like you could it's free reign on pastors you can say whatever you want about a pastor you know and it's just you, you feel i you feel it from the outside but i honestly haven't that much like I haven't had people who don't claim to follow Jesus mock me that much. I haven't had them. They're just like, oh, you're a pastor? Cool. You know, it's like right. they're never like weird about it. It's the inside people. Yeah. And I think that's when Jesus said it'll be your own family. Remember, he goes, your, your mother, you know, brother will turn against brother, you know, father against son, all that stuff, or son against parents. We think, well, see, it's that's following Jesus. I think that persecution comes within the, the family. And I think he was warning us of that too. Then anytime, you know, talking about the city on the hill, anytime that you 
like start including people into the family of God that the church has deemed should not be included, you will get persecuted. Yeah. You absolutely will get persecuted. And again, then you'll be called names, right? You're, oh, you're a liberal Christian because you don't, you're like, no, the people who followed Jesus were the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Why have we forgotten that? Like, how have we forgotten that that was the people who received it and the religious people who had their certain view of the end times, they had it all nailed down and they had all this stuff down. They were the ones who completely missed it. And that was that quote I sent you guys from Disarming Scripture. And he's, he's particularly talking about violence. Like if you, this is true, if, if, if you are within the evangelical conservative community who believes that America is the city on a hill mm-hmm. and, you know, like we're the, we're the chosen ones, I mean, it's, it's God and country, God and country, and we are a violent nation. And again, this is a whole other podcast when it comes to self-defense and all that stuff. But he says in that book, he says, the practice of enemy love can indeed cause division, expanding the definition of who we include in us to include the outsider and even the enemy can often be perceived as an act of disloyalty by our own group, family, or nation. We can see in the Gospels many examples of how Jesus experienced such hostility as he reached out to those considered enemies and outsiders. And I just think, and that's, that's where I've seen some of the most shame in church, is when it doesn't look a certain way that the conservative and I probably think the liberal church is the same way, you know, so I'm not trying to just say that. Like if, if you start including someone walks into a conservative or, you know, a more liberal church with a God and country shirt with an American flag hat, how's that going to go? You know? So I don't know. I don't know, but it seems like it's, I don't want to pick on one side, but sure. whatever the church is, is it's like whenever you start including the outsider or people who don't agree or people have different opinions on things, you're shamed. You're just shamed. Yeah. I I think it's, you know, talking about the persecution of the church, which is, to me, I always, anytime somebody wants to talk about being persecuted, I think it's, it's funny because those are the people that always kind of use that as an excuse to be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you're not being persecuted. They just, you're not a nice person. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it has nothing to do with your faith. You're just being a jerk. Yeah. And then they'll point to just silly stuff. And, I, and I'm so tired of people saying that we're persecuted because Ned Flanders is an idiot on mm. The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> like, and just when you talk about people who have experienced real persecution, somebody getting made fun of on a sitcom just does not count. No. We should probably move past that yeah. at this point. The, but we definitely persecute others. And we're the church... The church persecuted people that were outside for so long that now the the world, the outside world, whatever, um, kind of makes fun of that. Yeah. And and we go, well, that's not fair. We're not in control anymore, you know. And yeah. we we feel like that's persecution. It's just not. Yeah. We also feel that type of persecution is kind of a Western church idea too. Like I was just thinking about how. Um, I know people who would say, who are so afraid of having their head chopped off, but they live in like Stevensville, Montana. Yeah. And you're like, and in, and I agree with you, like the persecution that I see in America is coming from ourselves. Like we're attacking other Christians as Christians, which is then causing nobody to want to be a Christian because you'll know them for their love for 
yeah. each other. Um, and I think there is that real persecution where people are dying for their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems ridiculous in modern day America. Um, but it's that fear that someday it could get that bad. Yeah. Um, and you miss that log in your eye, you know, you're like, you're looking out so far in the future that you're not living today and going, well, how, how have I persecuted my own brother? Like, mm-hmm. and excluded him and pushed him aside and say, Hey, look, Jesus, this person's wrong, you know? But that's where the shame and the gospel have mixed. Yeah. Like whenever I hear a famous televangelist or whatever, even like Franklin Graham, right? Which I think Samaritan's Purse does a ton of great things and I'm not trying to trash that. And I think he definitely loves Jesus. But whenever he's on Fox News or something like that, it's always like America needs to turn to God. And then he lists like all these sins that America needs to turn from. And I'm I'm like, I just don't see that bringing people to God, you know, it's the kindness of God that brings people yeah. to repentance. It's the finished work of the cross. It's they're already in, you're accepted, you're loved, and that equals the change. But all those guys just get on and it's just like shame, 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 shame. You're doing this, you're doing that. This is bad. This is, this is, this is the good way. And it's like, they, they don't, then they, they see that. So when they see that or hear that, then they see Jesus up there wagging their finger at them. And he just didn't do that. You just don't see that. And any persecution that did come from the Romans even was when the Judaizers would rile the Romans up to go against mm-hmm. the Christians. And because, you know, they were causing a revolt and they're like, no, we're not. <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing the opposite of that. And so I think that's where that shame, that shame is the, the is presented in the gospel. And I'm not talking about where you have a relationship with someone and you can talk about things that are going on in their life, you know, harmful things, but it has to come with relationship, which is why Jesus would sit down and talk with people and eat with people and love on people. And, you know, when I see the story of Zacchaeus, I don't ever see Jesus saying much, you know, and I think there's a reason it was left out and whatever he said worked (laughs) and he did it joyfully. It says he joyfully gave his money away. You know, you could see the excitement of that and I can see the smile on Jesus's face. I don't think there was any shame whatsoever involved with that talk with Zacchaeus. Yeah. In fact, Jesus was probably saving Zacchaeus from shame because yep. Zacchaeus had so much shame that he hid in a tree. Or I think about like the woman at the well, or I think about the woman caught in adultery, like all these moments that Jesus finds himself in he does the complete opposite of shaming yes. and actually has the conversation with the person and then helps the other people realize, Oh, I'm the same person. Yeah. Um, well, and that's where, you know, the Christians will even take that verse when he says, you have had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. However, he said that one, he was just like being like, he wasn't shaming her. What he was saying is I know who you are sister and I'm still here. I'm yeah. still here because her next line was, you must be a prophet. And she said it like joyfully. Judah Smith actually has a really good commentary on that where, you know, why did he send the disciples into town? Well, he knew one, they were in Samaria. So he was like, you're going to go look at your own uh, prejudice right in the face and you're going to walk through Samaria. And then they come back and he's this, he's already explained the gospel to this woman and he was making him stare at it right in the face. And so Judo said, like, he, I, I, Jesus knew that his disciples would ruin that moment if they were there. 
that like, so he sent him into town to have this intimate moment. And what happened? It says the whole town came to know Jesus, not on her testimony, but on hearing Jesus's words. And so I think that's where we have totally mixed in shame with the gospel. And it's just, that's not the gospel. Right. Dallas Willard calls it the gospel of sin management. Yeah. Right. And when that's what the, when that is what the gospel is all about, um, just getting rid of your sin, that's where shame finds its power. Yeah. Instead of the gospel of being accepted already and finding love and following Jesus in the things that he did and not the things that he didn't, um, then that's just a different gospel than like what the American church has done is said, you get to be, you get to be in Jesus died for you, but now you have to change immediately. Yeah. And if you don't, it didn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, depending on where you're coming from, um, you know, from an Armenian standpoint, it's like you're constantly losing your salvation. Yeah, you're so. in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> and from a Calvinist standpoint, it's like, well, you must not have really found Jesus yet. Or you just weren't chosen. Yeah. 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 So, and so there's this constant guilt about what you're doing. And that shame just says, until you're, until you've made yourself spotless, you're not spotless. Yeah. And that's so contrary to what Jesus said. Totally. And that's, so now, I mean, it's just on my mind because I'm preaching on the sower and the seeds. It's like the, the, the soil did nothing. It did yeah. nothing. It just had to sit there and receive what the seed was already going to be doing. But we try to like, we try to make the soil something different <laughs> as Christian. That's what shame does. Okay. I'm going to shame you into being a, a receptive kind of soil. Yeah. And that's not the point. The point was the seed was covered in the soil. It is growing. It's going to grow because that's what the seed does. And our job is to water it with the goodness of the good news of Jesus that like, yes, it, it, it is finished. It is done. Like, yeah. I think again, that's that mixing of those two things where it just, it sucks. Yeah. And, and we've all done it. We've all done it. Yeah. Where, uh, so where do you, I know that shame and it seems like shame and fear kind of go together. So how do you guys see that? How do you see like fear and shame coinciding within the church that seems to think that, or, you know, how people think it's going to cause a certain action of change, but really it just causes fear. And how do you see the fear and shame going together? I feel like fear is on the front and the back end of shame. So it's a motivating factor um, for people to use shame to get, try and get somebody to change. So they're at their best. They're fearful for what might happen to somebody if they don't change. And so they try and use shame to get them to change. So even in their, like, using a bad tactic, they might have a good motive because they're fearful for them. And they're worried that something bad is going to happen to them. They're worried about the path that they're on. And fear always lives in the future, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's looking down the road thinking that you're going to drive off a cliff. Mm -hmm. And then on the back end, it's like, if this isn't working well enough it shifts to fear. Like you, this shame isn't working for you to make, uh, to change your actions. So let me tell you all the things that you should be afraid of. And ultimately that could be hell or, or whatever else, but we're going to shift it and go, you need shame. Uh, clearly you're just filled, you know, what is that show on 
HBO, the shame show, whatever. They're just the family that's kind of crazy and they oh, live in their is shame. Is it just shameless? Shameless. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, like if you're just, you're shameless and you can't be motivated that way, we're going to shift it and it's going to be fear now and we're going to try and scare you away from it. Hmm. And it, I sometimes, what's that verse in, in Jude where he says some people need to be um, motivated by fear? Yeah. And you go, I'm not really sure what that, what, I don't really, to be honest, know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I've seen people use that and go, well, we need to scare people and go, you're going to hell. So the shame didn't work. Now we're going to shift to that one. Huh. And I think when in that verse on Jude, if you look at the, how the Greeks lined up, he's talking about like just the reverence of, of God. Like, yeah. but whenever they talk about fear, meaning reverence, they talk about how like, when you revere God, like when you just know God is amazing, how do you revere God the most? Like, it's because he's awesome. Yeah. Like, not because he's going to destroy you. Yeah. It's because he's awesome. And he's, he loves you. He's forgiven you. And like, when you see that, that's how you revere him. Like, he didn't have to do that. Like, he, you know, he didn't have to die on a cross. He didn't have to do those things, but he did. Yeah. And that is like our motivation to like, just kind of toe in the line, you know, and, and understanding he's a good God, you right. know? And so, I, but I think we've constantly mixed the two. Um, with fear, and then it does lead to shame. Mm-hmm. How do you see it, Chad? I think what's happening within the church, and uh, I think there's a fear that God is not as good as we as we claim He is. And so, what we do as church leaders, and why we shame people, um, is because we're trying to save them, and we're not letting the soil and the water and the seed just uh, germinate and become a plant. We're actually where shame has a little bit of pride in it too on both sides. Like I'm shaming you because I need you to realize how big of a McMuffin eating person you are (laughs) and how you need to be saved and go to Wendy's for breakfast. Um, But then there's the shame that you put on yourself, which is a little bit of pride that says, yes, I need to fix myself. I need to go and, and do this. And when that takes place, we, totally throw out the gospel that Jesus actually comes into our lives and draws in the sand and helps us sort out all these things. Um, when we, when we do that, like that shame and and that fear, like make it so we never grow closer to God. Um, look at it in like other instances, uh, like body image. Um, if I always think I'm a piece of crap and I'm ugly, I'm, always going to keep running to gyms and diet plans and self-help books. And, and if the thing I actually desire is relationship with another human being, and that's part of why I feel like I eat way too many McMuffins and now I can't run on a treadmill. Um, I'm actually not going to obtain the gospel or the good relationship that I'm seeking because I've told myself I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of the gospel or even um, a spouse mm-hmm. because I don't look like Brad Pitt. But who does? Oh man, who I wish I honest. did. Who does? <laughs> even at how? I mean, just he's just getting better. Yeah, he's like, like the Ford Mustang, a '67. Like it's gonna be sexy for a long time. <laughs> I know. I hate his guts. <laughs> um, so I think uh, fear plays in with shame in teaming up and just really making us forget the good news. Yeah. And I think shame uproots that seed that Jesus is growing and it plants it in a whole different garden. <laughs> um, so shame uproots, but encouragement and love waters. That's what it does. I mean, it's all over, right? And 
you're actually uprooting uh, something that God is already growing because that's what he does. He's, he's the farmer. He's, he's already growing something in someone and that, that shame uproots it instead of, and I'm not, again, like my kids do things all the time. I do things all the time, <laughs> but it's like, you can't shame your kids into changing, but you can correct them, which actually is water, you know, which is like, you can correct them. And then you, you water them with love. I mean, you, you, you just, you surround them then with love after that. Cause you are kind of getting the weeds out of the soil and all that stuff. So that's not bad. So shame is different than just like acknowledging something that's wrong, but shame is a whole different thing. Cause you, like you said, you are then saying, this is who you are. And that is a completely different ball game that you're, and it, it doesn't work. I've felt it in the church. I've heard people say that to me in the church. This is who you are. What did that do? It made me, it didn't make motivate me to get better. It didn't, I mean, maybe for like 10 seconds, you know, but, and we even saw it. I mean, we saw it when we went through our church split, like when we went through a church split, there was literally people coming to me being like, I'm being pressured and shamed. And then if they didn't leave Zootown church, they were shamed for being a part of Zootown church. And so what I've realized is, is, and even we all have done this where it's like, it is a way of trying to just to get somebody on your side too. Like, because if you shame someone, it's a way that you can validate that you're right. You are right by saying what you're saying to them and they need to come to your side because you're on the good side. And I'm like, we're all messed up. Yeah. <laughs> like, so how can we even shame anyone when we all have some of all these same things going on in our life? Right. Yeah. It definitely feels like based out of in my, like out of insecurities, we, we don't want to feel like we're left out. And so the best way to feel like we're not left out is to pick on somebody and make them the scapegoat, make them the enemy. And then, try to get all the other kids on the playground. Yeah. Apparently I have a lot of damage from my past. We're we going to dig work, deep in the next we'll work that one out. <laughs> into your gym situation and your childhood situation. Yeah, in the playground. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so what we do is we go, Hey, so-and-so wears glasses or whatever. Um, and then we get all the other kids to hate that kid so that we feel like the popular kid or we feel like we're accepted. Yeah. Um, or that at least it's not us. Yeah. Like, if I can make somebody else the unpopular kid, then it won't be me. You know, and there's that fear in, in the background that, well, I could just as easily have been that kid. Yeah. You know? Tony Campola tells a pretty powerful story in one of his sermons. And uh, he was talking about this kid when he was growing up um, who was gay. And they used to, like, he didn't even want to change in the locker room. And they would fight. They've caught him one day. Um, he, and he wasn't there that day, but he said he they used he was there at times that they called him names and stuff. But and they basically surrounded this kid and whipped him with towels, um, shaming him. They were shaming him for being gay, and they whipped him with towels to try to ungay him, <laughs> you know. And that kid went home and hung himself in his oh basement. Gosh. And Tony Campola gives this powerful, he just says, I wish I would have told him I was his friend instead. And he said, I wish I would have brought him on my side. And I wish I would have, you know, been able to take the whips with him. And to me, that's, that's what the gospel is compared to what shame actually is. And yeah. I just thought that was such a powerful story to even look back, things that I need to confess, you know, and I think church people need to confess a lot <laughs> where they've, they've thought they're going to change somebody with, with shaming them. And you're just not, 
you're not going to. Instead, you should befriend them. And I mean, I can give you countless, countless emails that I've gotten of people trying to shame me into their theological side, or they're trying to shame me into believing how church should be run or whatever it is. And it's just, it's just, it never, ever makes you one. It, what it always points out to me now, cause I've been that guy too. So in all fairness, I'm a hypocrite, but that's what growth is. But what it does is whenever someone writes me an email like that or shames me, I'm like, whatever you believe, I don't want to believe that. Right. Right. Whatever you're, t- whatever you're seeing, however you're seeing Jesus or however you're seeing theology or whatever it is, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And so if the fruits of that is bringing more guilt, more shame, more anger, you're wrong. (laughs) It's just that simple. Like you are wrong. Yeah. I, I was thinking the people that have, at least on the outside, changed the most based on a motivating factor of shame are usually, they might be more polished, but they're the least like Jesus people you'll ever meet. Ever. They're yep. just so angry. And or they become, they start shaming people themselves. Yeah. If they got shamed in the gospel, they become shame-filled people as well. And they continue to like hate themselves. But that's where sh- shame gets masqueraded as piety. Like it looks like righteousness. It looks like piety. It looks like you love God and it looks like you love them. You know, like I can't even, again, tell you how many emails I've gotten over the years where it's like, I'm saying this to you because I love you. And then you go stone me. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's not love. So first off, that's not love. And anytime you set something up like that, it, it's to look like it's spiritual. It's not. It's not. And even like, I was even thinking about you, because, you know, you're, you like Rob Bell, and you even posted like... Um, you, you, I don't... No, I don't okay, continue. Yes, <laughs> own it. I do own it. But I, just, Rob Bell, I don't want emails. Oh, <laughs> don't send me emails. I like <laughs> Rob Bell. You can send me emails. Send yeah. them to Dan dot DeLong at. <laughs> but after he wrote Love Wins, right? He was out. It was like heretic out. And I think, you know, we've talked about this, but our audience hasn't heard. But like him and like Jen Hatmaker and some of them, I, I do think that Rob Bell's gone too far in some areas. I do. So I'll just say that personally. But I think the church pushed him there. I, I believe that a lot of these people who, um, they just have questions. They just have thoughts. They just want to have a discussion. Um, when the church just instantly shames them and crushes them and destroys them, it just, like you said, like you said, I'm just going to go eat that McMuffin then because I'm, I'm going to have a piece of cake tonight because mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing uh, isn't good enough for these people. And so I think that is where a lot of these people go. And I think when the church doesn't recognize that that just pushes people further into something, they're missing it. There's when you start feeling that shame put on you, you kind of look at those people that have just owned that thing and you go, at least there's some kind of freedom. It looks like there's freedom there. Yeah. You know, like the fat guy that just like really owns it and runs around with his shirt off and his belly's jiggling and all stuff. You're like, maybe I just want to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's awesome. (laughs) because this like in between stage where I'm I feel you know bad about the McMuffin I just want to eat the McMuffin and feel good about it and people go that's the jolly fat guy yeah and and sometimes you see that even with things that we could consider you know a bigger deal like the you know so the guy that deals or is just constantly smoking pot but he's just really happy about it and he owns it you're like I don't know. Maybe that, maybe yeah, that's he has better. Way <laughs> more freedom because he's not hiding. 
And that's yeah. and taken out of context, that's gonna sound terrible. But no, but I know. At least you, you know, can at least you can meet him there. I know yeah. what you're saying. At least you can meet him there instead of being like, Well, until you don't do that, you're not a part of our group. Yeah. And you're not you're not with us in the church. Yeah. And if you, you know, we're going to give you like six months, you know, right. but if not, you just, there's no way we can have you, you know, at the door, you're going to smell like weed and, you know, shaking hands and all that stuff. And I think if you don't recognize that they're just there in that spot, there's, you, there can be no growth past that. Right. We, also, like when we do that as a church, we create more camps. Like I think about this, I will never speak poorly against Rob Bell, but I didn't speak poorly against him. I okay. said I had I'm some just disagreements saying, with I'm him. just saying I'm not saying he yeah, there's probably something wrong. He's just so smooth. <laughs> so is Satan. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Um, but there is a a podcast that I've followed since it started, and what you saw was these um people who are just wrestling with the word and um identity and um things that we all do deal with got pushed out by the church, felt alienated, um, have made an incredible podcast that I respect and I listen to, and it, it has its own side. Um, everything does. And you just take things with salt and you find the, the good kernels and, and whatnot. But then what has happened is in their search for acceptance and love, um, they have now started a Sunday church where it's all the people that have started to be looking for this acceptance and love. Mm -hmm. So we've just made another denomination and we've just further divided the church. Um, and I, yeah, I wonder if the guy with the make America great hat could walk into that room without being stoned. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I love that podcast, which is why I'm not going to say what it is, but, um, (laughs) it's a good podcast. (laughs) It's really good. Um, but then we have just, as the church, their side and our side, have now just continued to divide the bride, and we aren't helping each other because their points of view could help us, and our points of view could help them. Yeah. Um. So that just that was reminded me about the way you're talking about Rob Bell is like, yeah, there's probably things that Rob Bell needs to work out and think about and and could use. And I'm sure he does have people in his life, like when he quotes a bunch of authors at the end of the book, it's pretty mixed. Um, but if we continue to push people away, like that pendulum, like I don't think I was a liberal until people told me I was a liberal. Mm. And then I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. There's also, there's nothing wrong with liberals. Yeah. I do wish we would be called Democrats, but... Well, That's a side story. Us conservatives want to be called <laughs> Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, let's get back to it. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. So that's my point is like, I don't, I, I'm not sitting here saying that there isn't truth, that sin isn't a big deal, that like, I'm not saying that. And no one is saying that. What we're saying here is shame doesn't work in the growth of those truths. Right. It just doesn't work. Going to an abortion clinic, holding a sign, calling someone a baby killer when they're 14 years old or, you know, it's not, it's never going to get them, if they do go have an abortion, it's not going to get them feeling better after the abortion or leading them more to Jesus. And I just, and that's what I mean when it comes to, not just Rob Bell, all of them, right? Everyone. It's like, until we can get out of shame and just actually have a conversation and not use shame as a weapon to get people to conform, it just doesn't work. 
It just doesn't. It just, like you said, it pushes them to different tribes. When you did uh, your uh, Forgotten Gospel, which is coming out soon on sin. Yeah. And uh, I think a misunderstanding of what sin is mm-hmm. is a contributing factor to that. When So we, listen to that when it comes out, everyone. Forgotten Gospel, Z-Town Church. It might already be out. We don't know. <laughs> it's really close. <laughs> when this gets released, that is. That's true. Um, but when you when you start to understand that sin is the thing that it's causing damage to you, that's hurting you and others, um, you don't need shame as a motivating factor anymore. When it's, when all sin is, is this like uh, glorious standard that you can't ever meet. That's where shame comes in. Mm. It's like, we need to shame you to try and meet that standard instead of being like seeing a person with compassion and being like this sin that you're a part of is destroying you. Yeah. And if we, if we can understand sin from that standpoint, we don't need shame anymore. Yeah. We can move from compassion. I think the the coolest thing that you've said recently, out of all the cool things, Scott, my boss. <laughs> Why, thank you. Who I love and I'm greatly fond of. Um, <laughs> I am very fond of you. <laughs> who I'm quite pleased with. Um, <laughs> is that sin punishes sin. And when you yeah. gave that perspective to the church, man, like you freed me of some things. Um, like... Like even just the idea of like porn is like completely disgusting to me in my own life when I can not be so shamed by it and and claim it as an identity that like, wow, I'm just this lustful garbage bag. (laughs) But when I can actually go, okay, sin punishes sin. How does this lust affect everything going forward? Um, And when you can see that, you can actually start going, it's really not it, as it's not a benefit to be able to just go do this. Yeah. It's going to hurt me or it is hurting me or it's going to hurt my future. Um, and that allows for real change instead of like keeping me feeling guilty all the time and hiding, you know? Well, because if you don't see that that sin is punishing itself, like it's like a law, it's like gravity. It's just like, there's just reactions to certain things. Then you, who you, who are you going to run to if you think it's, God punishing you for it. Yeah. Who are you yeah. going to run to? That's, that's what Adam and Eve did. They tried. They yes. were like, ah, yeah. we're going to so, go yeah. hide. Cause, and they had this weird misconception of who God was. So he, Jesus shows up and he's like, uh, hi, I'm still here. Yeah, so looking for you. Yeah, and that's like, <laughs> I hate when people said God can't be around sin. He's too righteous. I'm like, he was around sin for 30 some years and he's here all the time. He's around us all the time. But if you think that, if you live in that shame of that sin, and you think God is the one punishing you and shaming you at the same time, you have nowhere to run mm. except probably deeper into that sin. And so that's where I, I believe that wholeheartedly because I want to run to Jesus knowing like, I, I messed up, man. Like, I'm sorry. And he's like, I already forgive you. And let's chat about this. And here's why. And it's a whole different kind of freedom. Yeah. Cause I lived in shame for so long and I could, the funny thing is when you start, and that'll be our last thing is how do we get freed from it? is when I've lived in so much shame for so long that it literally, it, it's like you feel like you're schizophrenic. Like mm. you literally start feeling like you're crazy. But now that I've broken out of it, the cool thing about it is I know when it's shame talking and I know when it's my father talking. Mm. And that's completely different. It's completely different. Yeah. So that's how I, being freed from it is just being like, one, you don't listen to people who are, sh- who are shamers. Don't listen to them. Like they, they have no place speaking to me anymore. They just don't. 
because they're just using shame to try to motivate me to think like them and act like them. And I'm out of that game. Um, so that's the main thing is don't listen to shamers, but also just like, know that it's your father. It's not your father's voice shaming you. It's something way down deep. And then you can go to your father and he can kind of deal with that. Yeah. How do you be freed from shame? I think that's, that's it in a crux is just constantly running back to Jesus and trying to understand him better. And it's not always been the easiest thing to do. It is to try and break that shame cycle and just be like, Jesus, I, I messed up. I, I really need help. Uh, and if, when you understand the, the heart of the father that he's not going to sit in there and go, yeah, you're right. You did screw up. You did, you know, it's, he's constantly trying to move you out of that into a healthier place that the moment you feel that you've lapsed or you've whatever, if you run to Jesus, he will meet you there and you don't have to deal with that shame anymore. Um, you don't have to wallow in it. I think about my kids and just whenever they mess up, whatever, if they come to me and I, I, as an imperfect human, don't always react the best, but my goal is always that they feel loved and that we can move them to a place of health and not, not that they would just feel so bad about what they did, you know, that they would see that there's a healthier way to live. Yeah. And just, I think consciously meditating on what the heart of the father is changes that. If you understand that he is good and that he is for you, uh, instead of that he is judgmental and all that stuff, then you can get out of that. But if you have that false view of who God is, you just will be stuck in shame. Yeah, and then you'll shame other people. Yeah. How you view God affects how you view other people. Absolutely. Simple. Chad, how do you feel get freed from it? Um, I think you got to... Even though we're all a work in progress in this, by the way. It's absolutely. Like Apparently I have a lot of shame. I've... Yeah, so we're going to get <laughs> we're gonna really go deep home into... Meditate. Your... We're going straight from here we're for more to McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, we're going right from here to McDonald's. <laughs> I would totally do that. Put me in the car. Um, again, I think it's um, really meditating and focusing on like the truths that you find and the way Jesus responds to sin and and putting your identity in what actually um, is happening from God. And we have an account of that, so we get to see how God actually walked on earth and responded to shame and guilt and and sin. And it's always, it's always there's correction there, but there's always that man. I just I love you. Um, pick up your mat and walk. I want yeah. to see you walk, man. I want to see you thrive and excel. And and when we adopt, and when we put our identity in the 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 facts that we are sons and daughters and kings and queens and and of the, you know, the Lord most high, like instead of like our own shortcomings, like that's when we will really feel the shame fall off. And then another, I think a practical step to it is to find people who also talk about their problems honestly. And that doesn't have to just be within the church. Like against like some of my friends who don't go to church are so free because they're so willing to talk about their issues. Um, and so then when you go to a church, like really try to find leaders who are open with the issues that 
they face too. Cause then you're going to see somebody who's actually being honest and genuine and vulnerable. Um, and you're not going to feel shame from that person. Yeah. Like you do that. You do a really good job of that. And you always have like people would critique like, I remember like when I first started coming to Zootown, like six, seven years ago, like, um, going, man, this dude cries a lot. And then my friend Denny, who is like four years younger than me or something goes, I love him. Like he is crying because he knows the severity of the situation that he's been saved from. Hmm. And so like you were crying because you kept just thinking about all these things that you've been lifted out of and how amazing that gospel story actually is. And you would just say them from stage and we were like, Oh my God, I've never <laughs> heard a pastor talk about that. Didn't always go well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you find leaders and friends and groups that are willing to talk to you about it and not gossip, that's the other thing. Like there's always like a side to each. So if you're out in the, the secular or non-secular world, like um, don't find people who are going to go and bash you behind your back. Be, be mindful of like the pearls that you give. Don't give them to yeah. swines. Right. Um, if they're willing to talk about their shortcomings, then they're saying, Hey, here's something bad about me that you could go in all over the town and gossip about. Yeah. Um, so you're in a safe place because I know that if I tell you about my addiction, then we can have this common ground and you'll feel safer, you know? And I think that's, I think that's the biggest sign of betrayal. One of the biggest signs of betrayal is when you give people deep, intimate things and then when there's conflict, they use those same deep, intimate things that you've shared with them as weapons of shame. Yeah. To me, that is like no bueno, man. Like you just, I mean, that's, that defeats, that's just a complete betrayal of your trust and your emotions when, when you like say things like you're wrestling with and then they turn on, you know, that's that verse and they stomp them under feet and turn and use them against you. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's, that's where shame comes in a lot and. So last, I said that was the last question. One more. Just thought of this. <laughs> Again, we want to always be growing in this ourselves. How do we not shame other people? How do we not live in a sense of that, that we use shame to try to get people to be motivated? That's deep, bro. How do you not don't do it? How uh, do I not not eat this McMuffin after this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going uh, straight for a burger, by the way. <laughs> I, think yeah, what, I think what Chad said there um being honest about your own stuff and it's it's a lot easier to show grace towards others when you've been honest about your own flaws and you're open about the things that you struggle with that's true that it's a lot harder to shame somebody when you've just told them all the stuff that you do <laughs> they're yeah. like what are, who are you to tell me mm -hmm. and it keeps you honest and it keeps you vulnerable and is if you maintain a uh, a posture of vulnerability then you can keep yourself from shaming others, I think. Vulnerability, honesty. Seriously, that's true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, I think I agree with that. But you know why Christians can't be vulnerable and honest in church? Because they've been shamed. Yeah. So we just went full full circle there, guys. That was good <laughs> stuff. Good. Most successful podcast ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think another thing is just to be mindful. Like I love that Nietzsche quote where it's like, be mindful. You don't become, this is paraphrased by the way. Don't you can Google it. You'll find it. Be mindful that you don't this become Jerry Nietzsche. <laughs> be mindful. You don't become the monsters that you are fighting or you hate. Um, 
And if you're always constantly going, that's helped me on politics is, um, I can't go home and destroy my mother because we have our differences in, in whether we put an R down or a D down in voting. Like I have to love her and cause she loved me, you know? Um, and it's, so if I'm always mindful of like, how do I want to be treated? Um, that's how I'm going to not shame others, but you have to always kind of be thinking about it. Cause you can slip into it really easy. Like we want to be the heroes. So we, want to be on the winning team yeah yep i think the biggest thing i see now is whenever i see people shaming or using shame they live in so much shame themselves because i've been there i've totally been there and you should have empathy for them um because they just they're living in a whole world that's like super sad because it's just they're they're talking to themselves in so many ways um it's kind of like the saying hurt people hurt people it's like shaming people are shamed people. I mean, that's just how it is. It's how we're growing up. So, but we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that as a church. And again, when you don't, what I've found too, is if you don't come out and just say things like powerfully or harshly, or, you know, then people think you're soft and they think Mm -hmm. you're weak. And I'm like, well, I'll take that over being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I just will. Right. Like I'd rather have people say, Oh man, he's just gone so far to just the grace. He's hyper grace. Like, I love that one. He's, he's hyper grace. I'm like, thank you. That's actually a very good compliment. I love that rather than like, man, he just, I love the way he calls this out. It's like, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) We're, We're called to be like Jesus, which means we're not called to be the mob that wants to stone the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Yeah. We just aren't. <laughs> yep. Amen. Well, good podcast, guys. Let's go to McDonald's and cry in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Bye.